Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans. Welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And we are your killer couple critiquing and arguing over horror films like a couple of weirdos at the bar. So maybe we never quite enlighten you. Maybe we never blow your mind. Maybe we never make you watch The Dancing Pumpkin. But hopefully you just have a good time listening. Yes, I know it's stupid, Chris. (laughs) So so if you can't tell, tonight we are continuing our horror threequels theme for the month and we're doing that with the 1982 film halloween 3 so this is directed by tommy lee wallace uh, who was actually friends with john carpenter uh, who was one of the producers and writers and did the score for the film as well with down hollowerth uh, but he was friends with john carpenter uh, who I don't have to get into who that is. I'm sure you don't know who John is. <laughs> Wallace actually did production design and editing for uh, Carpenter's Halloween and The Fog. Uh, worked on Dark Star in the art department as well. Uh, Carpenter's first film. So, so he had you know he had been working with Carpenter for a long time, and it, there had been occasions where you know he, he was a spo- he was supposed to essentially take on a project from Carpenter, you know, or or be or from having worked with Carpenter. You know, such as like Halloween 2, like Wallace was originally supposed to be Halloween 2, and he admittedly hated the script <laughs> <laughs> and and kind of where it was going and thought it was, you know, kind of a bad sequel, basically, mm-hmm. um, to which I say, fuck that, I love Halloween 2, but, <laughs> uh, but, but he wasn't interested in that, and there were other projects he had passed on as well, uh, but when Halloween 3 came his way, you know, he was very excited to do that. Uh, it was actually his directorial debut. Uh, and then he also went on to do films like Fright Night Part 2, which is excellent if you've never seen it. Unfortunately, that one's hard to come across these days. Uh, he also did the It miniseries. Oh. Um, yeah, so just ha- has had a really good career. Uh, and the film was written by Wallace. And he gets full credit on the credits for the film. Uh, but he claim- But he says that's a totally false thing <laughs> that he shouldn't... <laughs> That he shouldn't have sole credit on it because basically uh, Nigel Neal actually wrote the original script uh, based on an idea that mostly came from him as well as I think Deborah Hill and John Carpenter. And, you know, uh, Neal was essentially known in the UK especially for having done the the Quartermoss series. I'm probably saying that wrong because I've heard it pronounced many different ways, but (laughs) uh, for doing the Quartermoss TV series and the films. And he was a guy who was kind of sour on Hollywood interference and, you know, had had bad experiences with it. And, it, you know, so, of course, the minute he got criticism uh, from Wallace and the others, uh, I think, I, I don't quote me on this, but I think led to him leaving the project. I'm not exactly sure Aww. what happened there, but, <laughs> but, but that kind of led to him not no longer being involved, I think. Mm-hmm. And... And then John Carpenter did a rewrite, and then Wallace, you know, basically came to the script. So, yeah, according to Wallace, he's like, 
I don't know why I get full credit for that, but... <laughs> well, good on Wallace for trying to give credit where credit's due. Oh, yeah. If you listen to the commentary for this on the Scream Factory disc, uh, Wallace is trying to give uh, Neil as much credit as possible Aww. throughout this. He's, he basically claims that Neil, you know, about at least 60% of Neil's script is on screen mm-hmm. in Halloween 3, so... So yeah, he tries to give him the credit that he's due. So the film stars Tom Atkins as Dr. Chalice, uh, who, you know, I'm sure most of you are familiar with Tom Atkins. You know, what, he was a huge fan of horror as a kid, and he's appeared in a few other Carpenter-involved films, such as The Fog, Escape from New York. He's also in Creepshow, Maniac Cop, the My Bloody Valentine remake, Night of the Creeps, which I think he says is his favorite film that he's done, or like his favorite role. <laughs> Uh, which I can totally see why he's amazing in that. <laughs> um, but you know, he, he's 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 the man with the mustache. You know, like <laughs> like we've got you got Bruce Campbell out there that we talked about last week, who's the chin. I, I look at Tom Atkins and he's the man with the mustache. You know, like the, yeah. <laughs> uh, he I I love the man. You know, he he just seems like a delightful person to work with. But but so so yeah, so he's had an amazing career in the horror. Uh, the film also has Stacy Nelkin as Ellie and. It, She's kind of an interesting person because she was actually the real-life inspiration of the character Tracy for Woody Allen's Manhattan because she had actually dated Woody Allen when she was a teenager. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, which, I mean, if you know things about Woody Allen, all of that just, you can immediately cringe just thinking, you know, about that, but... Uh, but she was also, you know, she she had potential to have an even bigger career than she did, I think, because she was actually uh, supposed to be one of the replicants in Blade Runner, oh, uh, but but her part was ultimately cut uh, right before rude <laughs> right before production began. Yeah, I, I don't quite remember exact details. I think there were originally supposed to be like six replicants, uh, and she was one of them, and that got cut. You know, out of the six, there were two that were cut, I think, but. Uh, but yeah, she was cut last minute from that, which is a big bummer for her, but she was kind of an instant choice for Halloween 3. They loved her when she walked in, and she pretty much immediately got the parts. <laughs> she's amazing. And she's great in this. Uh, and it also has Dan O'Hearley as Cochran, uh, who had been in film basically since the 40s, had a really long career before doing Halloween 3. Uh, you can also see him in movies like The Last Starfighter and RoboCop. Uh, but he he's one of those actors who really brought like a legitimacy to the movie <laughs> and and he's phenomenal in this. I love him in this film. But and, and for those who haven't seen Halloween three, you know, so this is where we get into the controversy of things with this movie. Uh, so Halloween three did not do very well when it released. It was actually considered to be a bomb at the time, mm-hmm. uh, which absolutely devastated Wallace, you know, because this was his first feature. And, uh, that sucks and, so much. And, and you know, and, and everyone involved, like, did a really great job. And, you know, they did. I, like, there's a lot of really great elements of this movie. And, you know, so for Wallace, that was a big bummer. And the reason it bombed, for those who haven't seen it, is that Halloween 3 does not involve Michael Myers one bit. He's, nope. You know, the, the, the mo- he's on the television. He is on the television because Halloween, the movie, plays mm-hmm. a couple times on TV in the film. Uh, but Michael Myers is not in the movie. It has nothing to do with him. And, it, you know, basically the idea here for, for those who don't know the history of it is that, you know, essentially uh, Wallace, Hill and Carpenter all kind of had this uh, concept of, you know, they wanted to take the Halloween title and essentially use that as kind of a as kind of a, a platform or, or a bounce off point for just basically a whole anthology of movies that would be released every Halloween. And the concept was essentially that you would have a, a new kind of story released every Halloween. 
And then with each of those movies, you could also have franchises spanning off from that if you wanted, you know, so you could have like the Michael Myers Halloween, you could have, you could add more of relations to this Halloween three here. And, you know, and right away, I think you can maybe sense a bit of a problem there in the sense that, you know, you can't, you can't have multiple franchises spanning off that are all called (laughs) Halloween and then some sort of subtitle. Uh, But basically, you know, as Wallace admits, he, essentially he in the studio and kind of everyone involved, he feels like they all kind of fumbled the ball and not really anticipating the audience reaction to no Michael Myers, no Jamie Lee Curtis, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so he, he, along with many others, I think does believe that the film probably should have just been called season of the witch yeah. because it's not, even though we're doing this for our horror threequels, it in a lot of ways is not technically a part three. Nope. So. <laughs> not at all. Uh, but that's why I wanted to talk about it. Cause I think that's really interesting, but yeah. So it's, you know, fans hated it basically. And it was a very long time until the film built a cult following. And I haven't even mentioned what it's about yet. So essentially it's about <laughs> uh, Halloween three is about a uh, doctor, Dr. Chalice played by Tom Atkins, who, Uh, happens to be the doctor for a patient that comes in clutching this Halloween mask and, you know, screaming about how, like, they're going to kill us all and that stuff. And then later that night, he is, in fact, murdered by a man who murders him, then goes off into his car and sets himself on fire. (laughs) And then uh, Chalice ends up teaming up with the victim's daughter to go investigate kind of the last place that her father was seen, which is this small town where they have this silver shamrock factory which makes these masks that the man was clutching the night that he died and yeah to say anything more from that (laughs) probably kind of spoils it but (laughs) uh, but they go off there and they discover all kinds of horror so (laughs) so we are going to be spoiling this film and talking about everything that we can so if you have not seen it please go check it out it is streaming on peacock as well as tubi at the time of this recording Uh, so check it out there otherwise it is well worth your rental you know to me this is one of the ultimate cult classics that absolutely deserves uh, the sort of reevaluation that it's gotten over the decades. But other than that, we have our brief little bit of spoiler-free content, so we'll let you know when we're about to get into the spoilers. So let's just kick off as we usually do. So we've got our tagline versus the film, and so just tagline what we think of the movie overall. So the tagline for Halloween 3 was, The night no one comes home. <laughs> so what do you think what of... What the fuck? What do you mean, what the fuck? That's a great tagline. All right, I so mean, you, probably, you probably don't even know the tagline for the original Halloween. It's the night he, he came home. Yeah, yeah, the night he comes home. Yeah, the I night thought, he came home. So what are you okay. laughing at this one for? All right, fuck you. Yes, I know that tagline because well, it's so iconic. Well, I don't know. You're laughing at this one, which is a great tagline. It's the night no one comes home. Okay, I'm laughing at, yes, I agree with you. This is an amazing tagline, but I don't think it's a good tagline for this film. Bullshit. Bullshit to you. Bullshit. Um, <laughs> I don't know. There's just there's aspects of this movie I don't think that it works with very Whatever, well. whatever. All yeah. right. What do you think of the movie? It's fine. Are you kidding me? <laughs> okay. Oh man. So this is divorce. not <laughs> Okay, to be fair, you would divorce me over so many of my opinions on movies and yet you're still married to me. So suck it. I'm worried. I'm getting I'm having trouble getting the papers written up. <laughs> <laughs> it's cuz I burned our license. Can't return me now. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, they oh. won't take you back. <laughs> Um, no, so Season of the Witch is one of those movies where I totally, I agree with you. I think that it's a movie that people really have to reevaluate because it is really easy to dismiss it because it doesn't have Michael. It doesn't do any of the Halloween stuff and you feel like you get tricked watching it sometimes. 
watching it, I do think that it is a well-made film, blah, blah, blah. But me, it's slow. Get out of here. It is. Get out of here. It, it's just, it kind of <laughs> I like, don't even know what slow means to most people anymore. Like, so for, for me, it just kind of like... It like kinda, to, me, to me, slow is like the Amityville horror or something, right? Or, or like... Or like you know, you could even say The Exorcist, where where Reagan doesn't even get possessed until like an hour into the movie. Like, even though I don't find Exorcist slow, mm-hmm. I can sort of understand that criticism. But like, how is Halloween three slow? You literally know. have people being murdered and having their skulls like crushed okay. from the opening scene. Like, the, the murders in this, the deaths are amazing. I fucking love the kills in this movie. But everything in between the kills, I'm just kind of like. All right, when, when are you going to murder someone again? Oh, I'm, I'm tired Jesus of watching Tom, Tom Atkins try to get in this young girl's pants. This is weird. All right, well, so so I obviously completely disagree with Chris. Yeah. I think Halloween 3 is brilliant. Uh, I don't find it, it slow. I think that's crazy to call a 90-minute movie slow that constantly has bored. things going. I don't know what to say to that. It's, I mean, look, look, it's to each their own. Everybody mm-hmm. likes what they like. I don't find this movie to be boring in any way, but <laughs> but no, it's a, you know I, I think this is a great film. Like I, not only you know not only do I think it's really clever and and kind of a smart use of the holiday, but I also think that next to Trick or Treat, Halloween Three is arguably the best Halloween horror film in the sense that it that it embodies the spirit of the holiday. It embodies the holiday itself. It makes the most use of the holiday. Whereas, you know, even the previous Halloween movies, they don't really make a big deal necessarily about the holiday itself. You know, Uh, like obviously, you know, Halloween's involved in the movies, um, but it's not like a centerpiece of the film necessarily. Whereas Halloween three, like Halloween is a centerpiece of what's happening. It is, directly connected to a big portion of the plot you know yeah so 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 i think that it you know i i just think it's a really great film and kind of embodying halloween itself and and that's a big part too of why it's kind of you know gotten this reevaluation over the decades because it's become one of those movies that people just watch every halloween uh because it embodies the spirit of halloween so well so i just think it's an incredible movie i think that and we'll get more into this in sports territory but i think that the the criticisms of, you know, no Michael Myers, no stabbing, yeah. no Jamie Lee Curtis are That's just like dumb. completely unfounded, you know, because I, I get it. I get it to a degree where like initially like, look, if it's your first time sitting down to watch the movie and you've never seen a Halloween film or you've never seen Halloween three before and you don't know anything about it and, and you're a big fan of Michael Myers and you expect Michael Myers. I totally get the initial disappointment, yeah. and I, I can't speak to you know how well the advertising made you aware or not aware. I think it I think it made it pretty clear that Michael was not in the movie, but but you know I wasn't alive then, so I can't yeah. say for sure. But once you've watched it, you know I, I think every movie kind of deserves another chance, and I think even when you realize Michael isn't in it, it's still an entertaining movie, you know. Yes. So it's a, so to just hate it. You know, to just hate it and and completely disregard everything good about it because Michael's not in it. I mean, that's that, a little silly. That that's where I think it goes a little bit far. And again, yeah. it's to each their own. Everybody's mm. allowed their own opinion on these things. But I just think that you know, this is one of those films that I, I think is a, a great case of why you know you should always kind of revisit a movie if you didn't quite like it the first time mm-hmm. and and check it out a few years later because you just never know how you're going to feel about these things 
once you kind of, you know, take away your expectations. So Yeah, it's always important to examine why you don't like a film and kind of challenge those things. Because for me, it's not the fact that Michael's not in it, and I would make the argument that the kills in Season of the Witch are better than the kills definitely in Halloween 1. Cause oh, 100%. Those, those kills kind of sucked. Um, <laughs> hey, now, hey, now, let's not... Okay, those let, kills were not as... Let's not condemn okay. a classic here. <laughs> okay, those kills were not nearly as bloody as I would have liked. Well, no, better? that... Well, that's what most people think is good about Halloween because it's... I don't know. <laughs> Season of the Witch has better kills. Season of the Witch has bloodier kills. It, ha- it has more, more exciting... Intense. It has more exciting kills, yes. okay? Uh, ha- Halloween is... A lot of people like Halloween because a lot of people like what you don't see. You know, it's the implication of it, the suggestion of it. Oh, I'm a um, slasher. I want to see the blood. <laughs> right. Uh, you can all tell my wife and I have very different tastes <laughs> than in movies. Matt has good taste. Um, but, but no, I mean, yeah, the kills are great. I, 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 I love that part about it. Oh, and just really quick, you know, I feel like Halloween 3 is one of those movies that should have prepared us for, like, the internet age and the way that, you know, so many film trolls like react to, <laughs> to movies just about being pissed about fucking everything you know like <laughs> yeah. um like i mean i swear to god i can't even post about a, a sequel being made without like a thousand people coming to me and not a thousand you know what i mean but without mm-hmm. all these people coming to me and just being like uh, Ugh, hollywood's out of ideas how are you making another sequel it's like there's like five, what? There's like six sequels maybe releasing this year and like a thousand original movies. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but yeah, the reaction to this, I think, just perfectly encapsulates like what that all kind of became. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so we are going to get into spoiler territory now. So again, if you have not seen Halloween 3, please go check it out. Streaming on Peacock and Tubi. Otherwise, we're getting the spoilers. So uh, let's, let's, start, let's start with the fact that Michael Myers isn't in it. You know, The and, Michael and, issue. The Michael paradox, <laughs> as we'll call it. <laughs> you know, so so the first thing I want to point out here is is just to to further rant about my 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 uh, my my despising of just the producing world in general. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not to say that there are not a lot of great producers out there, and I have friends that are producers, uh, and it's not to say that every producer is a monster. Uh, but I do. A believe- lot of them are. <laughs> But 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 a good percentage are, and you know, Halloween three is a perfect example because you know, th- so so the Screen Factory disc uh, for Halloween three actually that came out years ago uh, has a whole kind of like making of Halloween three, and it's really frustrating because every single person that talks about the movie expresses like just complete admiration and and like pride in the work that they did for the film, mm-hmm. except for <laughs> except for. <laughs> Uh, producer Erwin Yablins, who basically goes out of his way to claim, like, I had nothing to do with Halloween 3, you know, I, I just took a check for it, and... and Alright, and, bitch. And, and, and he's like, I, I thought not including Michael was the stupidest thing they could have done, and like, you know, and he just totally goes off on it, I'm like, yeah, and I bet if I bet if it was a success, you would take credit, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> it's... I mean, I feel like that's bullshit. I definitely agree with you that if the movie had been successful, that producer would have been grabbing every fucking credit that he could. Look, for me, the the movie not having Michael, 
Who gives a fuck? Like you said, this is a good film. Me not liking it is is not me saying that this is a bad film. It's just a personal preference. Because I can tell Season of the Witch is great. It's slow. Someone doesn't die every five minutes. I don't need someone to <laughs> die every five minutes, but I the also... The movie doesn't tell me exactly what's happening. I don't want to watch a dude try to get into the pants of a girl half his age. That's not interesting to me. There's like two scenes of There's that. There's so much of that. <laughs> Whatever. Anywho... Look, for me, I actually really like the concept that they were going for. I like this idea of yearly you get a different Halloween film that tackles a a different aspect. Because my main issue with a lot of Halloween anthology films is we're getting these little tiny snippets that they can't really do much with. Mm. You're doing these short films. So I love this idea that each one is going to like explore a different aspect. That's awesome. I think that they kind of should have abandoned that idea the second that they did Halloween 2. Once you do two movies in a row with Michael Myers, it makes it so much harder to set up your third one to be different. Well, I'm not, I mean, I could be wrong about this. I'm not sure how much that concept was floating around at the time of Halloween 2. I mean, it must have been mentioned, you know, because Halloween 3 came out in 1982. You know, Halloween 2 came out in 1981. Yeah. So I I have to imagine they were already kind of talking about this, but... You know, it, it just it makes me want to go back to 1982 and like slap fans in the face, you know, for <laughs> for having dismissed this so horribly. Because I'm just like, look, you all you all love Michael Myers, right? Like with with John Carpenter and Deborah Hill at the helm, mm-hmm. you know, like if Halloween three had not bombed, they might have stuck with it for this whole anthology thing, and we could have had like five different Michael Myers, you know, like we could have had like five different like very popular Halloween centric slashers or, or yeah. villains or monsters or whatever, you know, and, and we didn't get like, it's just, <laughs> it's just one of those things where like you think to what could have been. Yeah. And in another universe, there's like, you know, in another universe, there's like the James Bond version of Halloween movies where we just get one like every two years or every year and, you know, I, I want to visit there. I want to live there. That's the same <laughs> universe where stab is the movie. We have Stab instead of that, Scream. That'd be great. I mean, look, I love Scream, but I would love to watch the Stab series as well. They have time travel. <laughs> who doesn't want to watch it? Who doesn't want to watch a shitty time travel slasher movie? So, look, I mean, there's all of that, and then it, you know, at the same time, I think that it is kind of Halloween Three is really interesting, not having Michael Myers and just kind of seeing some of the similar themes explored. Which, by the way, really quick too, um, Chris and I both noticed this on one of our watches is that. I think in the first Silver Shamrock commercial that comes out, you know, that really obnoxious jingle that we'll talk about in a bit. Six more days till Halloween. Yeah, you don't need to start getting in everyone's heads now, Chris, although me just probably even saying it gets it in there. But <laughs> but the first Silver Shamrock commercial, actually, when it fizzles out from the power going out, one of the kids' faces very briefly looks like a kid wearing a Michael Myers mask, yeah. which, which is pretty dope. You know, yep. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it's kind of... I'm going to say it, it is because they're smart. I, uh, well, they are. It's a very intelligent movie. But uh, but yeah, so we'll say, we'll say that was purpose. We'll say that was on purpose. Uh, but, <laughs> but that's kind of a little reference to him there. But yeah, I mean, one of the other cool things about it is that, you know, I feel like it kind of, even though Michael Myers isn't in the film, Halloween 3 does kind of play with some similar themes to Halloween in the sense that, you know, it, it really feels like Carpenter and Hill and Wallace, like they all really wanted to continue to explore kind of this idea of you know the the corruption of innocence the sacrifice 
of innocence to the the Halloween gods, you know, <laughs> Sam Hain and Samhain or whatever you want to whatever you want to call it. And, and I just think that's kind of fun to you know to sort of watch with Halloween three because it goes a step further, you know, yeah. it, like a, a step much further in the sense that you know it it just jumping ahead here it just does something that we do not see, especially in horror movies anymore, you know, because now it feels like. We, we've gone back to this like really kind of conservative almost sort of approach to you can't kill kids sort of horror in the sense that yeah you can't kill kids you know yeah. and and i'm not I, I think we've talked about this before i'm never i'm never out there like kill more kids in horror movies <laughs> he totally is kids. but but i do but i do really appreciate a horror film that is not afraid to cross that taboo mm-hmm. you know not afraid to cross that line because to me, I think that the minute that you kill a child in a horror film, it tells you that you are not ready for anything that might happen in this movie. Anything can happen at that point. Yeah. You know, and Halloween 3 just has that great moment kind of early in the third act, I think, where you do kill a child and it's like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, especially if you're a kid at the time, it's like, fuck me, man. Like, you know, because because if you're watching Halloween 3, you might not have actually seen a kid die in a horror movie before that. So. Yeah, and it's a pretty fucked up death, too. Fuck, yeah, it is. <laughs> Fucking spiders and insects and snakes coming out of his head. <laughs> and, they, and they actually use a real rattlesnake to that for that scene, too, which uh, which Wallace says they were all pretty freaked out by. But <laughs> uh, I mean, that's pretty awesome, though. That's the thing for me. I was, I've been thinking about this since you brought up on the last podcast. Your, your whole concept of... of trilogies or that you know a series finds its finds its footing by the third film and it is so unfortunate with the halloween series that they maybe found their footing except for they just kind of slid off a cliff and we never got more (laughs) well so they didn't find their footing in this case (laughs) they kind of they could have if the fans if the fans had supported it then they could have kept doing it yeah well i think i think in a way it kind of finds it because you know after halloween 3 the franchise did go on for the next two movies to really explore kind of putting youth at danger you know where it's like my favorite of the halloween movies where we went from (laughs) where we went from you know teenagers and jamie lee curtis to to, to Daniel Harris as, uh, I mean, God, a child at the time, you know, whatever mm-hmm. age she was, uh, to having her be the star, you know, like, so, so it does kind of continue that theme, but all right, I want to, I want to go back to, you know, your whole issue here with, <laughs> with Chalice and Ellie. So why don't, are, are, is, it, is it really, is it really that big of a deal that, <laughs> that you have? A couple moments with them, with him hitting on her. <laughs> but so it's, it's not even that it's a couple moments type of thing. I am, it's, Okay, A, yes, romance is very important to me. And so I would rather a movie do it well than just like shoehorn it in because I think <laughs> this, that's bullshit. This is a horror movie. How many horror movies do you watch that have like legitimate romance? I mean, for God's sakes, the first Halloween movie is just a bunch of random teenagers fucking. Like, <laughs> yeah, but that's what random teenagers do. Random it's teenagers not romance. fuck. I mean, but that's. Random, <laughs> random people. It, above their 20s fuck too <laughs> they do but like let's let's specifically look at dr chalice and Allie. i don't even want to call him dr chalice what the fuck is his name daniel you're not a doctor anymore daniel because you're a drunk deadbeat dad and that's what you are in this film and he is also that yes yeah. so that's kind of my thing with this is that when we first get introduced to to daniel like this is not a good person and i'm okay with our horror films not having like good people as as the main people but, like, you know, this is a man who should not be a doctor. 
To the same extent, you know, the theme of Halloween, men who should not be doctors, set forth by Dr. Loomis, who is a terrible doctor. and now It is, it is consistent. Yes, and now followed <laughs> up with Dr. Chalice, who goes in because his beeper goes off while he's drunk. Like, he is such a, like, drunk doctor that the nurses know that he's at a bar during the daytime to send yeah. Allie to go see him. Uh, if it makes you feel better, Tom Atkins does say, these are his direct words, I don't know what the hell kind of a doctor I was, because he, <laughs> uh, because he is, he is those two things. Like, he is a womanizer, as yep. we see throughout the movie. You kind of get the sense that he has... Hits I, on everyone. <laughs> he either hits on everyone or you get the sense that he's actually slept with them before, you know? Like, he, he's basically hitting on everything with two legs, yep. right? <laughs> uh, and, and yes, and he is an alcoholic, which the film doesn't... You know, this is another reason I appreciate Halloween 3 is, you know, th this was back during a time when movies didn't feel the need to fucking spell everything out to you like you're a goddamn six-year-old, you know? Like, it, it gives us a couple moments where we, we, we get the idea, like, he drinks, yeah. but, there's, but there's not one moment in the entire movie where Tom is like, and I'm an alcoholic, or his wife is like, you need this, you know, for the first scene in the movie to kind of set up the theme or whatever, or, like, his, his path to change of, like, one of these days you need to stop being an alcoholic and love your children and become the man that you're supposed to be. You know, like this is like, this is subtlety. It's something that I miss so bad uh, in, in just movies in general, you know, where it's like, they don't have to spell it out for us, for us to get the idea that yeah, Atkins is an alcoholic and it, and you can take it a step further where, you know, touching on thematics of it. I, I do think that there is something interesting going on here where, you know, you get the sense that maybe Atkins and his wife, uh, played by Nancy Loomis, who now, who now goes by Nancy Keys, that they probably got divorced uh, because of his alcoholism. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and you can even maybe take a step further and, you know, kind of... Again, this is kind of like becoming fan theory stuff, but my favorite type. But but you could you could even go as far as to say you know maybe there's a possibility that Atkins was an abusive dad, or or if not an abusive dad, he definitely was probably not a good dad. No, he's, <laughs> and he's definitely negligent. Yeah, and and that's what I think is kind of so cool. If you not cool the abuse part, but, <laughs> but that's what I think is so cool. If you kind of think about it that way, and then look at the way that Halloween three kind of plays out and what Halloween three is about at its core because there there's something there where you can kind of say, you know, maybe at the heart of it with Atkins character, this is kind of a journey for him of like, you know, maybe not trying to become a better dad. Well, yeah, in a lot of yeah, ways trying to become a better dad, trying trying to trying to, you know, make up for his past mistakes and yep. actually save a child or a million or whatever the case is. <laughs> That's also the reason why I don't like their relationship. I mean, cause a, uh, Daniel should not be fucking a girl who still calls her dad, Papa. I'm sorry, that's that's just weird and gross. But I think I but think no offense to anyone out there. No offense, parents, Papa. <laughs> but like, so here's my thing. My whole takeaway from it is I call I my dad fucker. But <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> What do you call your mom? Mommy? You know what I call her. Oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's horrible. <laughs> I, no, I'm, so, no, I think you hit it right on the head. The whole reason why Daniel and Allie kind of get together and hook up has to do with what they're both kind of trying to achieve in this movie. 
you know, Daniel is a shitty father. He knows he's a bad dad. He knows he doesn't show up for his kid. It gets thrown in his fucking face when his wife buys much better masks for his kids. Oh, way better. That Those shitty plastic masks he bought? What the hell are you doing, man? Yeah, those fucking... <laughs> no kid wants to wear those. <laughs> you know, one of them has a weird mustache on it. Well, like his! Oh like my his. God. He was just trying to get his kid to admire the mustache. Yeah, all right. <laughs> But I think Atkins, or yeah, I think Daniel kind of looks at Ellie as ostensibly this lost kid who he can potentially help and mm. prove that he's useful. And then he fucks her, which is weird. See, and, I, and Ellie, on the other hand, just lost her dad, and she's looking for a replacement father figure. So it's weird because she fucks her dad. See, I, I, half, I don't like it. <laughs> see, I half agree. I, I agree. No, I half agree because I agree that I think subconsciously. They're both going through that. I think subconsciously oh, yeah. that's part of the attraction is, you know, because I, I agree with you. I do think that I do think that Chalice sees her as someone to help. And he mm -hmm. and he and, and you to know, prove his worth too. Well, and right. his dick. Well, he doesn't have to prove that. He's Tom Atkins. But <laughs> Ew. <laughs> but but you know, but he is this man who you could theorize is going through a midlife crisis. Um, you know, hence the drinking and the womanizing and the dead be dead ish. Um, you know, so like, so, so you can, you can, you can assume that when he meets Ellie there, there is probably a subconscious attraction there in the sense of he does see her maybe as, as someone to help, you know, mm -hmm. and maybe there, and maybe there's a part of him that he doesn't realize, but is kind of seeing his kids in her. You know, and and seeing this as an opportunity to to be a good adult, a good dad, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, I don't think he's consciously thinking that. I don't think he's consciously thinking. I'm I want to fuck my daughter. I don't think he's consciously thinking. I'm gonna fuck my kids through this woman. You know, like I, he's not thinking that. Just like I don't think she's consciously thinking I'm gonna fuck my dad. But there is part of her that yeah. might see her dad in Tom, right? Yeah, so, it's a subconscious. So, so I do think that part's going on. And also, you'll appreciate this being, you know, an ex costume designer, but. I do think there's a little something interesting going on with the costumes here early on. And again, this is me just totally reading into it. I'm not sure the costume designer was thinking about this at all. Uh, but I thought I found it kind of fun because I, I noticed these things sometimes that when 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 Chal I keep calling him Atkins, but you all know what I'm talking about. When when Chalice and Ellie first meet, uh, Chalice is wearing his lab coat over a red shirt, right? Mm -hmm. And Ellie is wearing uh, this like blue dress. And then it's interesting because then the next time they meet which is at the bar, Atkins is wearing this red flannel shirt, but it has kind of this blue checker pattern on it. And it, she has this black jacket on because because the actress apparently insisted that she wear this like trendy jacket because the director did not like her wearing all black like that. <laughs> uh, but underneath the jacket, she's wearing uh, like a white button up over a red shirt, which is replicating what he was wearing when when uh when they first met so mm -hmm. i find that kind of interesting because i think that that sort of costume element in that moment kind of implies of like how the two have been thinking about each other you know Aww. like it sort of it sort of implies of like how they're on each other's minds and that they're kind of like you know they're sort of dressing Bullying. in a way that kind of reminds them of each other. <laughs> I mean, I like that. I'm not going to lie. I did not pay attention to the costumes at all in this movie. Well, you should have because they're good costumes. They're fine. <laughs> the customer, okay, costume design does a really good job of like just the best costume feel. design sometimes, Chris, is the one you don't notice. <laughs> I will not disagree with you on that. But no, but but yeah, it is funny though. Like I, 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 I definitely understand being 
rubbed the wrong way by the relationship because, you know, Chalice does have that moment where they've already slept together at least once. And he stops her of like, wait, how old are you? It's like, it's like, what? bitch, you don't care. Like, you don't care how old she is. He asked her that after he's fucked her twice. Like, you can't go back, Tom Atkins. You can't unfuck a teenager. Well, we don't we don't know about <laughs> twice, but he's at least fucked her once. And she's not a teenager. She's in her twenties, but if she was. If she was, right, yeah, no, you can't yeah. unfuck a teenager. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but I do love him just waiting until that moment of like Oh wait, are you are you old enough? It's like, dude, you've already traveled all this way with her, and, and and let's let's be honest. I mean, you know, there's that part of him that that probably wants to be that you know that quote unquote good dad deep on the inside. But but I, I think we could all assume too that you know Chalice is totally going along with the scene because you know he just sees Ellie and he's like, damn, you're hot, you know. And he yeah. just He's like, hey, this is my opportunity it, to fuck this chick. <laughs> it's it's equal parts. I want to prove that I'm not a worthless sack of skin, and I want to fuck this super hot young college student. Yeah, exactly. So so that you know so this actually leads me into like what uh, another kind of interesting theory I think I have here is that. So, so there's always the debate, right, of whether or not Ellie is a robot from the beginning, or if she's, or if she becomes a robot later in the movie, because because you have, you know, why so, would she ro- be a robot in the beginning? I'm gonna get there. Okay, patience, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, because because there's the whole sort of like realism part of it, where it's like. You know, they turn her into a robot very quickly, you know, <laughs> like, like she's kidnapped and within an hour they've already made an Ellie robot, you know? So like, so, so there's that, so there's always been that kind of theory or, or criticism amongst fans of like, is she a robot from the beginning or is she not? And Tom, and, and, you know, to be fair to any of us, whichever side of the fence you fall on, uh, Tommy the Wallace himself says, I don't fucking know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, like he's like, I didn't think about that. I have no idea. <laughs> but my my theory actually is that she is a robot from the beginning. And why? Because I kept thinking to myself, because you know, the the in the end of the film, you have Chalice go through the whole car accident with her, where she attacks him, mm-hmm. and then he runs to the gas station, right? Yes. And I kept thinking to myself, what what happens right before the opening of the film, where we see her father running down the street to the gas station. We, you know, we later learned he, of course, had a car and everything. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of clicked in my head of like, well, what if he was with his daughter and she had been turned into a robot and they're driving back and the same thing happened, you know? She attacked him after he had kind of found out what was happening and his car crashed and he ended up running to the gas station. Like, like to me, it just kind of makes sense <laughs> no it doesn't is she a weird robot siren luring men to the shamrock silver shamrock factory to then murder them later yes <laughs> no Why? no that, no that's not at all what it is no so like so i think that you have no so again i think her father found out what was happening she got kidnapped made into a robot and it, basically the same thing happened that happens in the ending of the movie mm-hmm. is what i'm getting at and as far as, like, why she accompanies Tom Atkins, um, you know, of course you could speculate on, like, why Cochran would have any interest in doing this to Atkins or whatever. Um, but I sort of looked at it like, look, what, part of the ultimate part of the plot ends up being that Cochran views this all as just one big practical joke, right? Yeah. And I kind of look at this as like, well, 
maybe that's just part of his fun is that he sees it as like a big joke to lure Atkins there and have this kind of spectator basically uh, for his for his prank, <laughs> essentially in the end. <laughs> Wait, what? No, no, none of that makes sense. None you of don't that make makes sense. sense. <laughs> I don't. And if I don't make sense, and I'm saying this doesn't make sense, because that like okay, so that if she is a robot, there's actually no reason for her to go visit her dad in the hospital because nobody's gonna know. So that's then setting up that yeah, that no, the Cochrane just wants to lure some random person, make no, them but, fuck a robot. But you could no, but you could assume that she went there to to kind of you know investigate on whether or not anybody was on to Silver Shamrock, <laughs> you know, like like and and then once she maybe realizes that he is, I don't know. All right. okay yeah i don't here here's my thing i'm gonna say no to all of that because we meet all the other robots all the other robots are very not human there's one that just stands in a goddamn shed yeah like like the idiot that he is but we do learn that they can talk and and she could just be the most well-designed robot look i don't i don't truly (laughs) believe in this theory but i do think it's kind of a fun one if you want to go that route, you All know, because right. <laughs> because I do think that the whole thing that they they create her within like an hour or so is kind of bullshit. <laughs> I mean, I do agree that that's bullshit, but like they've seen her. It's not that they created her an hour; they could have seen her when she toured, and then made her thing as like a weird entrapment thing. But yeah, I'm gonna go just hard no because of the other robots. All the other robots suck. Like I don't know. I think for me, this is the part of the movie that like. I like and also makes the least amount of sense for me. What? Okay, so, you know, we have this whole concept of the Silver Shamrock factory being in a company town. Cool. I think that's really smart, especially in America setting, because it kind of harkens back to what we see in other horror films where you go to the small town with their intricate rituals. Mm. It's a little bit harder to do in America since we're all kind of like transplants and stuff. So I love this idea of the company town because nobody gets in, nobody goes out. You know, it's this very like sheltered, sequestered thing where they can kind of do whatever the fuck they want. Okay. But the part that doesn't make sense for me, like this is season of the witch. It's all about witchy stuff. And I get, we have a little bit of technology thing, but I do not understand the robots. I do not understand why what robots. Don't you understand? Why are they there? What do you mean? Why are they there? <laughs> why are there robots in this witch story? It makes no sense. Well, first of all, this is the eighties, mm-hmm. you know, and it's an update of, of your witch lore, you know, so like the way that Hill and Carpenter and all them kind of looked at this was essentially uh, witchcraft meets the technological age. Okay. You know? So, so right away, that's part of where your robots come from <laughs> is they're just trying to explore that stuff, you know? So look, the, the robots are a smart addition because, you know, first of all, uh, Wallace really saw this film as kind of being an invasion of the body snatchers type of thing, you know, like that was a big inspiration from him. Uh, where he viewed, you know, Halloween as more of a slasher movie. He views this as what he calls a pod movie, you know, like mm-hmm. people being taken over and that kind of thing. Um, but I think the robots angle is perfect because you are dealing with this company town, so to speak. And a major theme of Halloween 3, which plays, I think, even better today than it did then, uh, is this idea of kind of the, the evil of a corporation-run society, you know? Yeah. Uh, like a cent, like you know, because the the eighties was around the time when like this was, you know, it it hadn't. 
again, I didn't live in the 80s, but, it, it, you know, I don't think that this had quite become the issue that it is now <laughs> where it's so obvious to all of us that letting a few billionaires run the world is maybe not the best idea. It's a terrible you know? idea. And I think Halloween 3 kind of speaks to that fear that was beginning to grow at the time because, you know, you've got this corporate town and there's a lot going on here with this. You know, you've got the you've got the town which has become dead and a big pile of nothing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and that's, you know, that speaks to the way that corporations kind of move in and like kill small business, kind of, you know, essentially ruin towns and become like the one thing for that town, whatever. Make them into ghost towns. Yeah, make them into ghost towns because it's all about that fucking factory. You know, not a lot of, not a lot of people want to live there. Uh, so, so there's that kind of element in like how, how these corporations, they come in and they kill kind of, you know, the, the better parts of living in America, which is small business and independence and all that kind of stuff. And then as far as the robots go, you know, that's another perfect fit for this because it, it again is speaking to how, you know, working for a corporation is essentially being, you know, it, it in lack of a better term, a slave to the corporation, right? You just become it's, a corporate drone. You become a corporate drone, exactly. You know, you, you become this this drone, this servant of the company uh, where you're completely expendable. You have no personality. You might as well just have a number instead of a name tag, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you are subservient to whatever the company wants, you know? It's why I could never personally work for a corporation like that because I hate the idea of how expendable you are where it's like you could be a few weeks away from retirement and a pension and the company's like, eh, we don't want to pay that to you. You're fired. You know, like yeah. it's, <laughs> you know, like there, there's so much wrong that happens in these things. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I love the theme of, you know, the robots and, and how, you know, essentially, <laughs> essentially the silver shamrock company, you know, or as I like to kind of think of it as like uh, the Halloween Willy Wonka, you know, like it's, <laughs> With 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 Cochran sort of being like Daddy Cochran, you know, like yes. uh. <laughs> or 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 Halloween Daddy, you know, whatever you want to call him, <laughs> Big Daddy, I mean, Big Daddy Cochran. <laughs> stop saying that. Cochran sounds way too close to Cochrane. Well, maybe it was supposed to be way too close to Cock because he's Daddy Cochran. <laughs> um, but but you know, but I but I, I love that element of it. Like I think that's really cool. I I do think that there's a lot really going on with the theme here of how corporations just kill small towns and you know turn people subservient and basically destroy everything. Cause you know, cause uh, you know, Cochran's ultimate plan is to destroy everything. Yeah, it really is. You know, and, and you see how this town's run with like all these. Big Brother cameras listening in all the time. And, curfew. And, and there's a curfew, and they, they lie about everything, you know? They lie about what happens to the woman at the hotel. They're lying about fucking everything, you know? And, and you know, to me, that's just all about kind of what we see all around us now, which is corporations doing that exact thing, you yeah. know, spying on you, like... Uh, timed getting, bathroom breaks. Timed bathroom breaks. Getting all your fucking info. Like, why the hell does Google or Twitter know exactly what I was looking at earlier today <laughs> on a separate <laughs> website? And it gives me ads for that thing later. Like, that's fucking freaky. You yes, know? <laughs> it is. I, I have to admit, I didn't consider the robots from the corporate angle. I was just thinking about the magic You were just stuff. like, why are there robots in a witch story? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly where my brain was. But uh, then I have a question for you. Do you think that the, the town drunk is the only real person left in that town? 
Is everybody else robots? No. So I, I think that I think that most of the people that are perceived as human are probably human. Uh, except for Ellie. Except for Ellie. She's totally a robot. But <laughs> it's just because no. you want to fuck a robot, isn't it? I'm not saying Ellie's not attractive, so take that how you will. But um, <laughs> that's a yes. That's a yes. Uh, no, I don't think that that everyone's a robot, and and I think that the town drunk is a really good example of kind of the the sort of split between the two types of personalities that there are when it comes to this sort of thing, which is you know the people like us and like the town drunk, where we're like fuck corporations, fuck all this corporate greed, fuck you know, this subserviency to rich people, you know, killing eat, children, fuck killing children, eat, eat the rich, fuck them. Uh, and then there's the people who are, are more closely related to like the character buddy played by Ralph Strait and his family, where they're all about worshiping the rich, you know, yeah. they're like, like buddy and, and his wife, you know, they could not be more infatuated with Cochran mm-hmm. and admiring of him and wanting to be him because they're this, you know, they're they're that other side of typical America that you know, uh, what's what's the saying? Like all Americans just think they're temporarily not millionaires or something. Yeah, like, that. like temporarily like, poor. They're one step away from being a millionaire or something. Yeah, yeah, that sort of mentality of like, oh, I live in America, so I'm going to be a millionaire. You know, mm-hmm. and it's and, and they kind of remind me of that. Of like, they they worship that sort of rich lifestyle, right? And rich yeah. people even though rich people are the last people you should worship. (laughs) Well, and the movie shows us that too, that, you know, Buddy's whole thing is he thinks that he's sticking around to talk with Cochran about like ideas. He thinks that he's on a level where he gets to talk to this big man and he has his ear and he finds out he's just another fucking sacrificial lamb. Yep. And that, and that's what it always turns out to be, you know, like dude, Cochran murdered your kid. You cannot trust right. Rich people. They will always backstab you. They will always fuck you up. That's why they're rich. (laughs) Cause they backstab and they (laughs) steal so and fill your children with snakes and fill your children with snakes you know which is why i like that which is why i like too that you you know part of the imagery with with what happens to the kids with all the like crickets and stuff and insects you know coming out Mm -hmm. of them uh again i'm i'm drawing it maybe a little bit too far here but but i think that that can sort of tie into like yeah rich people just view us all as fucking insects yeah you know and that's what they view these kids as they're they're no they're no better than insects to them so oh absolutely (laughs) Uh, so that's kind of where I think that comes from, but you know, and this speaks too to like the whole fucking silver shamrock jingle, which by the way, fun fact, if you all don't know, it's based on London bridges falling down, (laughs) (laughs) uh, because they had to work with a theme that would, that would not have a copyright issue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and you know, then they crafted this most obnoxious, memorable, stuck in your head theme of all time. Uh, But, you know, but that but that plays into the fear here as well is kind of what's going on with the whole jingle is that, you know, the movie itself is hypnotizing you from the very beginning Mm -hmm. because the opening image is the quote unquote dancing pumpkin, you know, flashing on screen. Mm -hmm. And so right from the moment the movie starts, it's doing the same thing to you that it does to the kids in that you have this flashing pumpkin. You know, that's the sign of hypnosis right there. Mm -hmm. And then the jingle is playing all throughout the goddamn movie that by the time you end, you're going to have Silver Shamrock stuck in your head for at least a week, <laughs> yep. you know? And, and it's so clever in that, in how intoxicating it is for the brain, because part of what's going on here with the kids is it's it's marketing hypnosis, you know? Yeah. It, uh, tying into the whole corporate thing, it's 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 marketing to the children. It's it's talking about, you know, how, how corporations do brainwash people, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we don't realize it because 
it's it's seductive it's uh it's it's hidden very well like even just when you watch a fucking mcdonald's commercial you know <laughs> we all we all understand this at our core but they're brainwashing you they're being like look at this goddamn juicy <laughs> cheesy dripping in goodness burger you know like like it makes well, now you wanna, i'm hungry like, it makes you want a fucking cheeseburger that moment you know like <laughs> well that's what i think is the brilliance about season which and specifically the commercial is the fact that yes it's hypnotizing but unlike a lot of you know other commercials the silver shamrock commercial is not lying about what they're doing because you it's know, lying a little bit. <laughs> no, it's not. And that's what I like about this whole film is it There's no grand prize winner unless you consider them all winners. <laughs> well, I mean that's that's Cochrane's joke is that, you know, Yeah, you're, no, I get it. Um but no, the the Silver Shamrock commercial, yeah, you start with the 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 dancing pumpkin or whatever the fuck, and then the first kid transforms and it's the only kid we see repeatedly is the kid who transforms into the skeleton mask. We we see the witch once, we never see the pumpkin ever. It's always the skeleton. And it's the thing I like about this film is the fact that with that marketing, it's very upfront. We are going to kill your kids. You're going to buy this mask and they're going to die. We're not lying about that. We're not hiding it. But we've hypnotized you enough that you don't think that it's happening. And mm. I think that goes along with this line that Cochran says towards the end, which is a good magician never explains. You still have time to figure everything out. And that's this whole movie from the first moment. The first thing we see on the television, when we go to the gas station is the fact that someone fucking stole a stone from Stonehenge. Mm. And those, those, um, those breadcrumbs are throughout the entire movie. If you put everything well, together, you can figure it out, but you have the silver Samrock song fucking you up every step of the way. Well, <laughs> well, and th there's a lot of fun little things, too, that kind of notice in that is that, you know, the film itself is also a countdown. Yeah. So at the same time that it's that it's hypnotizing you, it itself is a countdown, again, reflected by the dancing pumpkin in the beginning. It's the most cheering and, countdown. Sure. Uh, but but it is a countdown to what's going to happen, which which I love because it, it almost feels like Hitchcockian to me in that sense where, like, you know, Hitchcock was brilliant in how he would, you know, show you a bomb under the table and you have two characters talking and you know the bomb's going to go off and they don't. Mm -hmm. And you as the audience just waiting for it. That That's what's brilliant about Hitchcockian movies. And that's what's brilliant about Halloween 3 is like, you know, something's coming and mm -hmm. the characters don't. Yeah. You know, like you're you're a bit ahead in a sense. And and there's this countdown going on. And, you know, it it's really interesting to kind of see like how how time actually plays a role in the movie as well because you know the moment that we meet uh dr chalice he's standing in front of a clock and and all through the film you do have this kind of like clock like imagery you know mm -hmm. where where we're we're getting closer and closer to halloween you've got you've got the titles showing up of like it's october 23rd and now it's october 24th and now it's october 26th you know and it's like it's bringing you closer and closer to this countdown and then luck is in it too you mm -hmm. know there's this sort of theme of like luck versus bad luck in the sense that you've got the silver shamrock and the you know luck of the irish like there's <laughs> that sort of side to it uh -huh. and then ellie's dad you know he's staying in hospital room 13 mm -hmm. and and i think part of the fun there is ultimately that you know the original halloween a part of the theme there was fate you know you have the whole scene in the classroom where the teacher's talking about fate and jamie lee curse is like you know, drifting off into Wonderland and, you know, dreaming of Michael Myers. And, <laughs> and uh, it's exactly how it happened. Yep. And, uh, and, and in this, you know, you have Cochran sort of, 
you know, he, he talks about with his end plan of like, you know, oh, it's all big one joke. It's a practical joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also a sense of fate, fate, fatalism as well because he's basically talking about how the planets are aligned. We don't decide these things. You know, uh, like it's time for another sacrifice. And so I almost kind of feel like it's part of the joke to the for the audience is you view all of this kind of luck imagery mm-hmm. and part of Cochran's joke, part of the ultimate joke of the movie is there's no such thing. Yeah. There's no such thing as good luck or bad luck. It's all faded, mm-hmm. you know, uh, which ends up playing into the end where, you know, it's debatable, I guess, on how you view the ending. But me, ultimately, I think it was faded that this happens because Atkins does not win. <laughs> I agree with you, Atkins doesn't win. I don't know about faded because I think Cochran's full of shit. <laughs> I, no, I don't think so. Like, I, you know... I, I think Sam from Trigger Treat would kick Cochran's ass. Okay, well, Sam has nothing to do with this, Chris. That's a totally different universe. But in, in this in this universe, Cochran is referring to a, a, essentially a fatalistic idea. In the mm-hmm. sense, you know, you have the planets aligned. He is not picking the time to do this. You know, uh, according to Tommy Lee Wallace, the director, uh, Cochran is this warlock that's been around for hundreds of years, if not more, you know? And so... So it's not like he couldn't have done this before. Mm-hmm. It's just that they're choosing it. Well, they're not choosing. They're doing it now because it's, because as he says. Because the aligned. Well, yeah, it's time for another sacrifice. It's fate. You know, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I, no, I, I, I will disagree <laughs> with you vehemently on this because fate, again, is such a huge part of those first three movies, you know, and, and or, or those first two movies. Ooh. And so I, I don't see it as coincidence that, you do kind of have this sort of conflicting luck imagery with Cochrane's sort of fatalistic viewpoints, you know? No, I, I definitely agree with you on on that side. Yeah. I, you know, for me with, with Cochrane, like when we get to the end and we get to like his his little like speeches about like, you know, this is about Samhain and, you know, we have to do our sacrifices. You know, as someone who loves Halloween, I want to punch him in the dick. For the, for the sole reason that, like, you know, the one thing that is supposed to protect you in Halloween is your goddamn Halloween mask. That's the one thing that's supposed to protect you from everything. So the fact that he's using that to murder all the kids feels like a travesty to Halloween. And that's why you think Sam from Trick or Treat is going to hop out of his universe and kick Cochran's ass well, for, like, belittling Halloween. That's well, why I feel like Cochran's making fun of you. <laughs> As one of those people who thinks about Halloween and maybe doesn't actually consider the origins of it. <laughs> but that is the origins of it. The origins is dressing up so that you don't get murdered by those things. Well, right, but there's really dark, pagan there sort is. of things that work into it and oh. sacrifice and all that stuff. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying that sacrifice isn't a part of but, it. But you're just like, you're supposed to be safe on Halloween in a mask. No, no, but no. that's part of the joke, Chris. <laughs> that's part of the joke is they're supposed to be safe in the mask, as you say. But But that's the deadliest thing for them to do is wear the mask. He also (laughs) stole, like, a holy item. He stole a Stonehenge stone and is now chipping it into tiny pieces and using it for murder. What's your point? (laughs) My point is I don't think he loves Halloween as much as he says he does. I think he just likes murdering kids. Oh, it's debatable. (laughs) (laughs) Again, what? Look, you're not you're not here to agree or disagree with what Cochran's doing. The point that's is all that, I do. The point is that's what Cochran believes, you know. Yeah. And, and the point is it, it is fate because that that is the time that it's happening. And 
You could argue it's fate because they do not win. That's (laughs) why I feel like he's just another rich asshole who's using something else to justify what he wants to do. Just like Crusaders or anything else that wants to justify murdering people. He's like, oh yeah, did you not know? Did you you didn't know that these planets aligned? And so it's totally fate that I should murder all of these kids. I don't know. You can think whatever you want, but like, (laughs) (laughs) I still think fate's a major theme of the movie, but it's. You know, I, I will also quickly say, too, I love that Cochran just goes, like, full Bond villain in the movie. Yes. He just he needs just, a cat. Where he just explains the entire <laughs> plot. And, like, you know, he he like he likes having Chalice around to be like, listen to my plot. Because nobody... I'm, these I'm surrounded fucking, by robots. These fucking dumbass robots don't give a shit. So I'm good. Someone <laughs> has to know how genius my plan is. <laughs> there, It's not fun to pull a joke if you don't have somebody to pull the joke on. Exactly, which is why, again, I think he used Ellie to lure him there so he could have someone. To, I'm right. You so can have, have your sex robot. So he could have someone to explain the joke to. You can have your sex robot. <laughs> One last thing for this ending that I think is kind of fun, too, is that, you know, again, it's fate. Um, but, you have, <laughs> but you have but you have Atkins, who is, who is fated to lose here. And because, you know, whatever conclusion you want to draw from it, you know, my, my thing is just basically – there's always one motherfucker greedy corporation that's not going to cut the commercial, you know? Yep. So like, <laughs> uh, also, you know, magical telephone that he's able to just connect to like all these different it was channels. The 80s. But, but you know, but I, but I love that. I love that one of them still plays and, and him screaming, stop it. You know, to me, I sort of take like him screaming, you know, just this frustration at the people that are in charge of stuff like this, you know, at people in charge of, corporations and the ones that are behind like brainwashing our youth and whatever you know like like i I love the that maybe the idea there is that atkins is literally screaming at all of us like stop it stop stop doing the thing stop giving in to the thing stop the consumerism (laughs) stop the consumerism you know like it's ridiculous really when you think about it and, and you consider the fact that you know the whole silver shamrock line, it's three fucking masks. Yeah. And and it's it it you know, it is actually a funny joke by Cochrane in a sense, when you when you look at, you know, the whole montage of all the kids walking around in their masks, and you see all these kids wearing these, you know, there's like a kid wearing the fucking like skull mask with a clown costume, <laughs> and another girl's got like the pumpkin in a fairy costume, you know. Yep. And I'm not saying that these are not good aesthetic choices. I mean, props to those They're kids amazing. for being props to those kids for being creative, but but the joke of it is, is that it's like it's consumerism at its worst, you know, because yeah. you have every fucking kid in America wearing the same goddamn one of three masks, you mm-hmm. know, and and it ju- it speaks so much to like how, you know, at its heart, consumerism is all about mind control and, you know, just the dullness of it and everyone kind of falling in line. So just watching every fucking kid have the same mask. <laughs> Uh, it's, just, it's hilarious. <laughs> uh, it's the one part of this movie that I never understood because, like, were, were you the type of kid who wanted, like, the popular costume? Uh, not usually, you know. I, I dressed as, like, werewolves and shit. I think the only time I ever wore the popular thing was when Scream was out and I wanted to dress, as, ghost, I wanted to dress as Ghostface one year, but... <laughs> That's totally understandable. Yeah, no, I was, I mean, I'm, I'm a little freak, so I never went with whatever was popular because I didn't know what was popular. My favorite still... Yeah, you never even know what's popular. <laughs> no, my favorite still was the year that I wanted to be a fairy angel princess. And my friends were Power Rangers. Okay. <laughs> I just thought it was cool. But yeah, but it's just really funny. And, and, you know, you think about, like, all the kids who, 
did not give in to whatever the cool hot thing was. Like they're all alive. Yeah, they're fine. This. Like, they're fine. They're fine this Halloween night. You know, it's just the fucking kids that got brainwashed by the commercial that are all dead. Uh, oh, actually, we did have a fan question uh, for this from Twitter. Kind of connected to this. I want to make sure we include it. Uh, so this is from at Shannon Morant, and that's S H A N N O N M O R A N T. And they just wanted to ask, like, since we were talking about this, do you think that Akin stops the final channel in the end? Oh, fuck no. In your opinion? No, so, no. Kids die. Yeah, so you you agree that, no, it didn't get stopped. It's, no. They're dead. <laughs> yeah, those kids are absolutely dead. There are rattlesnakes everywhere. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, to me, he does not stop it. They all die. <laughs> um <laughs> Tom Atkins himself likes to be optimistic and say that he thinks that they stopped it. Uh, Oh, Tom Atkins, bless your heart and your mustache. I I believe at one time there was consideration of whether or not to do a happy ending uh, and that the studio was pushing for that. But I think, you know, miraculously, I think in the end, Wallace and Carpenter and the others ended up getting the ending they want. Like, I, I, I think Wallace says that Carpenter actually gave him the choice of, like, what do you think? You want to go with the dark ending or the happy ending? And, and this is what Wallace wanted. He wanted to go with this ending. Okay. Um, so, which I'm glad they did, because to me it is one of the most iconic dark endings in horror. Like, yeah. when, I, when I think dark endings in horror, this is probably the first that pops to mind. So. <laughs> yeah, because hundreds of kids died. Oh, Chris. Let's thousands of kids die. Oh, Chris, millions of kids die. Let's be, <laughs> well, to realistic be fair. Here. He got two channels shut down in his area, so he did not get it taken off of the channels in the rest of the nation. Yeah, no, he he failed big time. Yeah. He was, again, it was fate. He was never gonna win. Um, <laughs> he saved 20 kids, if that. So, so anyway, we do have to start wrapping up. We're already going over time. I mean, look, I, I could personally talk about Halloween 3 for fucking ever, but we can't, unfortunately. So. <laughs> Uh, so who's your killer idiot of Halloween 3? Hey, the town drunk. You know Cochran is watching you. Why would you talk shit about him? You dumb dumb. You're the yeah. one person who knows what you're getting into. Yeah, no, that's what I said as well. You know, you would think he would know better by now, mm-hmm. living in this town. Yep. And having the theories that he does. But no. no. <laughs> uh, so he was awesome. Mine. What about your killer death in Halloween 3? Uh, that's Marge. He's one of the sales people who also shows up at the hotel because she gets her face shot off and it's just it makes me jump every time and i love the prosthetics for her fucked up face Mm. also i do think it's funny that a lot of the deaths almost seem to be a joke kind of like as well because like you know she's fucking around with something and it literally blows up in her face like the town drunk talks shit and literally gets his head bit off ostensibly so I don't know. I just think okay. some of the deaths are funny. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> I mean, they're fun, and you could say funny. Uh, although I do agree that that one's very effective and does get a good jump out of you. But mm-hmm. um, no, I, I put Buddy's family uh, because that that whole scene is honestly pretty horrifying. Yes, like especially as a kid, like I said. But but you know, it, it is it is the oh fuck moment of the movie. You know, mm-hmm. and, and this is coming after you know a guy gets his face smashed in, another guy gets his head ripped off. You have that mar- that moment with Marge. But this is the oh fuck moment of the movie where you finally understand a little bit of what Cochran's plan is. Mm-hmm. And it's fucked up, to yep. say the least, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that 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 moment to me and the image of the kid just ripping at the pumpkin mask, it just, it's just so iconic that I, I love that whole scene, you know? Yeah. What about your killer MVP of Halloween 3? Uh, so for me, that goes to the effects team just because, like, the kills are so great in this film. 
Like all of all of those effects about like just the head ripping, the face, you know, smooching, like the kid's face underneath the mask for that kill is so good. And so I think, again, this is my favorite part of the movie is the fucking kills. So they nailed it. Yeah. So I'm going to give it to, I, I think I gave it to him as well for Halloween, but that's just how great he is. I'm going to give it to Dean Cunney, the cinematographer. <laughs> and, and that's just because I think that Dean really deserves a ton of credit for how effective the first three Halloween movies are. And you do very much notice a massive drop off <laughs> in quality, <laughs> in, in quality of the imagery. When you get to Halloween four and Dean's no longer involved, like, you know, Dean, and that's part of the effectiveness of Halloween three too, is, is that, you know, even though Wallace is directing, it still feels a lot like a John Carpenter movie. And, you know, Carpenter was involved with the music and producing, but and the script, but you know, it, it, it Dean Cundy is a, is very much responsible for that as well. He makes it look and feel kind of like what people became used to with this work through working with Carpenter, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and Dean just has like, you know, it's it's honestly frustrating to go watch this movie or 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 any of his films really from the eighties and and see just how well he understood lighting. And like the depth of the image and how he uses shadows and and stuff like that. And, you know, it's so frustrating to go see that and then watch low budget horror now (laughs) where there seems to be like no understanding of lighting where things are either too dark or too bright. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, look, I get it. Dean Cunney's a master and we're probably never going to have another one like him. But could we at least try, (laughs) you know, make an effort like that's my most frustrating or, or that that is the most frustrating element of most movies to me these days is the lighting. Mm-hmm. It's it's so bad, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so bad compared to something like Cundy did with Carpenter here in the eighties. But uh, so no, it's Cundy. I, I think that he he is a hugely responsible mm-hmm. for the success of all of these first three movies is just the look of them and the vibe of them anyway so on our twitter at killer critics we always like to put up a poll kind of getting your thoughts and feelings of the film what you think of it so between love it it's fine don't like it i've never seen it where you think halloween three falls to the audience oh that's tough because it's either is it people who are voting because it's now like a cult favorite and they appreciate it or is it people who are still mad that there's no michael myers i'm gonna give our audience the benefit of the doubt and say love it is the winner because it's a great film it is, but both types are still very prominent. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Love It got 57.9%. It's Fine got 23.4%. Don't Like It got 10.3%. And Never Seen It got 8.3%. So I pretty much expected that. I'm a mm-hmm. little surprised by the Never Seen It. I kind of thought that would be a smaller number because this one has become such a cult classic. Uh, but that... everybody knows there's no Michael, so why watch it? Well... Because it's Halloween three, because a lot of people <laughs> love this movie, and if you're a horror fan, you'll you'll check things out that are classics, you know. But um, so I was a little surprised by that, but I'm not surprised by the rest of it, you know. Mm-hmm. That kind of falls around where I thought it would, because even though the film has really found its following, it's still not beloved by everyone. You yeah. know, it's still it hasn't it's it hasn't reached that status of like the original <laughs> Halloween, you know. So, um, so that's about what I thought, and so we always like to get. Uh, so we always like to take comments from y'all as well. So these are all from Twitter. So first up is at the underscore shape underscore the numbers 78. I think you can understand what they're referencing here. Yep. And they say, they kind of listed everything off here. So they say, Carpenter with another legendary synth score, 
Cundy's cinematography is fantastic. I hated it at first, but it grew on me over the years. If this was the follow-up to Halloween 78 and they switched to anthology, it might have worked. But after H2, it cemented that it was Michael Myers' franchise. So kind of what you said earlier. Yeah, I obviously completely agree. If this could have been number two, I think we would have gotten an amazing anthology. But goddamn Halloween 2, which is a great film and I'm not shaming it, but it got in the way of us having a cool anthology series. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely agree with all that. You know, I think... <laughs> I think it definitely hurt the film that that Halloween 2 existed because, yep. you know, Michael Myers had become Halloween. He had become Halloween at that point, you know, once you have a sequel. So, of course, people expect him in Halloween 3. Um, we, I, I went over my feelings on that earlier on, but <laughs> but I still but but I do definitely see uh, where the shape here is coming from and, and agree with it. So. So anyway, so thank you at the underscore shape underscore 78 for the comment. Appreciate it. And then next up is a comment from at Haunted Michelle, and Michelle is M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E. And they say, Tom Atkins is everything. He could do no wrong. I don't see it as a part three, but as a spinoff. I think that's what gets people's underwear in bunches. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with it, it getting people's underwear in bunches. I'm, I disagree about Tom Atkins. I feel like I've been clear about that. That mustache man is is fucking women he shouldn't be fucking. You're, you're but... part of the 1% <laughs> that does not find Tom Atkins attractive. <laughs> okay, to be fair, my dad had a mustache like that when I was growing up, so I cannot actually be attracted to anybody with a mustache well, like and, that. And like Tom Atkins, your dad probably doesn't look as good without the mustache. So. <laughs> You've seen him without the mustache. He doesn't have a mustache anymore. You've never seen him with the mustache. I know, and he'd probably look better with a mustache i mean that's fair my dad's an ex-frat boy with the beer belly to match so right so so no, i, I agree with Juan and michelle tom atkins is everything i will watch anything atkins is in i think atkins makes everything he's in better so. <laughs> uh so so she is right he could do no wrong uh so thank you at haunt to michelle for the comment appreciate it uh next up is a comment from at becky tyler art so that's becky t-y-l-e-r art and they say, love this one. Part of me wishes we would have gotten more of this type of film in the franchise. Maybe they should branch off an anthology film series from this. I definitely agree. I think that we could still have this anthology series. Bloomhouse could still do it. They have Halloween. They have the rights to Halloween now. They could totally do it. You know, I Come on, Bloomhouse, you owe us. <laughs> I mean, I firmly believe that this has so much potential to just be a massive moneymaker if yes. you could just release a title under halloween every goddamn year you know why wouldn't you do that it'd be amazing <laughs> so so no i completely agree becky uh so thank you so much for the comment appreciate it again that's at becky tyler art uh next up is a comment from at narcotic casser one so that's narcotic c-a-s-s-e-r and the number one and they say it's the only halloween movie in the series where the holiday actually plays a vital role in the story see chris i'm not the only one that thinks that uh, and does so through a story that's more like Dead and Buried or The Wicker Man. A story that leads to what, in my honest opinion, is one of the best endings in horror history. Okay, see, I agree with you guys on both of those things. I do think that it takes the holiday more seriously. I just think that it perverts you were giving, it. You are giving me all kinds you, of looks. <laughs> it perverts the holiday. It doesn't abide by the holiday rules. Whatever, you pervert the holiday. Um, so <laughs> if I could have, I would if I could. <laughs> Uh, but no, I completely agree with all that. And I like the reference to, to Dead and Buried and The Wicker Man. I actually think those are great comparisons. Yeah. Because obviously they tie into the theme of sacrifice and, you know, small <laughs> small towns gone bad and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, thank you at NarcoticCaster1 for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, and then lastly is a comment from at Sinful underscore Redhead. So that's S-I-N-N-F-U-L underscore Redhead. 
And uh, this is my friend Sarah. She has a podcast. Check her out. Um, she says, boo fucking yeah. I love me some Halloween 3. I've always enjoyed horror movies that think outside the box and try to be different instead of being a cut and paste copy of the one before. And come on, who can say no to the sexy Tom Atkins? I can. I can say no to the sexy Tom Atkins. Chris doesn't want that mustache ride, apparently. I don't. You know what, Matt? You can have my mustache ride. I'll take your mustache you can, ride. You can go twice. I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> Wind me up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I do agree. I do like the fact that this one does something different, and I appreciate it. And it is too bad that it didn't get the love that it needed. Because, look, those Halloween masks are so fucking cool. Mm. Like, this movie's amazing. So hopefully Blue house come on bloom house now we're asking you just do it do it for us you owe us yeah and we all know that the bloom house listens to this podcast so <laughs> uh so that'll definitely happen in a year or two um, but <laughs> uh but no yeah again i totally agree halloween 3 is great i also love movies that think outside the box i i you know i like i'm always fine to see you know friday 13th part 18 where it's just jason slashing people at a camp again i'm fine with that mm-hmm. But I am one of those people where, like, I will always, always appreciate a sequel more if it does do something a little bit different, you know? Yeah. Uh, I prefer that. I like to see movies try to be original and do something a little creative. But anyway, <laughs> thank you at Sinful underscore Redhead. Appreciate the comment. Uh, so we always do our releases for the week as well. So this is actually a really week for, well, hopefully good week for releases. So first up is a film called The Sadness, which is coming to Shudder on the 12th. And this is basically a kind of 28 Days Later-esque rage zombie movie, I think, or it's legit zombies. I'm actually not sure. Um, but this one, I will warn people, I have not seen it myself yet. I meant to watch it before this, and I didn't. That's my bad. Uh, but I have heard that this one is extremely intense and that it is not for the faint of heart, both in violence, and I have heard there is rape as well. Aww. So like, uh, so so it's a pretty intense and gory movie from the sound of it. So beware but I have heard that if you can get past that stuff, it's also very good. So I love rage zombies, but I hate rape. Well, don't we all? Uh, so, that's, <laughs> so that's on the 12th. Uh, another film is The Innocence coming to VOD on the 13th. And this one kind of, I haven't seen this one yet either, but this one kind of sounds to me like uh, sort of like Village of the Damned meets Chronicle, you know? So it involves kids that uh, discover these powers that they have over the summer and kind of use them for deadly things <laughs> so, uh this is another one that i've heard's great I, I another one i wish i would have checked out before this but uh so you can check that out on the vod on the on the 13th and then lastly is the Firestarter remake which is coming to both theaters and peacock on the 13th uh you know obviously based off the stephen king story about a girl with pyrokinesis who can start fires with her mind um, a power we all wish we had a power we all wish we had I'm going to be honest with you, I'm a little worried about this one because <laughs> I should I should have a review up for this uh, this Friday that it comes out. but So I can't really say much, but I will just say I can't have my review up until Friday. So take Never that, a good sign. So take that as you will. So, <laughs> uh, so, so hopefully that turns out to be good, but I have a feeling that we're going to we're going to appreciate the the other fire starter a little <laughs> bit more after this. But anyway, so that's on the 13th. And next week we are covering the film A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. And I swear to God, if Chris disagrees with me about that movie being a good movie, then we are my, getting a It's divorce. my favorite one. Good, because I don't want to argue about that one. <laughs> well, now uh, I'm going to dislike it just to argue. You better not. All right, so that is streaming on HBO Max. You can check that out there if you would like get your homework done prepare for next week uh that's gonna do it for us on halloween three so look I, it's a great movie 
There's yes. a lot to cover with this. Hopefully we covered, you know, enough for it to be fun. But I, I honestly could have talked so much more about that. But <laughs> uh, but hopefully you enjoyed. So that's going to do for us. So I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And have a happy halfway to Halloween night, <laughs> horror fans. Bye. Six more months till Halloween. 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 Six more months till Halloween. Silver, Silver Shamrock. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans. <laughs>